Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Tom Holgate from iLending. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. John, thank you for having me. Um, I've spent my entire career in consumer finance helping people out, whether it's been with consumer loans, mortgages, credit cards, and so on. But mostly uh, the last 15 years or so have been in the auto space, helping people get cars uh, when they may have had challenged credit and now helping people out that have got interest rates that aren't as good as they qualify for. And so we do a lot of marketing and help people out with that. And uh, it's been about longer than I care to admit, but a, a number, couple of decades of uh, work uh, and still some more to do. No, that's great. And you're, you're based out of the Denver area regional or internet or, or national firm? So we are a nationwide firm. We've got uh, our headquarters here in Denver. We've got a call center uh, operation in Austin, Texas, another one in Columbia, South Carolina. And then we have a partnership with a company uh, that has a location in uh, Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic uh, for helping us with our bilingual needs. And then we've got both lenders and customers that we bring together in all 50 states. Wow. So Obviously, you're you're constantly building and growing and looking to do that. How do you uh, how do you define or uh, capture or measure scale? Everybody everybody has a different metric. How do you how do you define it or measure it? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that, and I think that there's you know ways to default to some of the basic ones, and that is you know maximizing your return on a dollar invested or maximizing your productivity on a per dollar or per person, or per location um, type of basis. Um, and I think those are all well and good, but I think some other things that you need to look at when you start to say, you know, you are or are on a scale. Um, I think it's important to understand where you fit uh, in the market and, you know, what kind of market share you have. And, and maybe 1% is great in some markets because they're so big, you, you know, you, you start to choke if you get bigger than that. And other ones, you, you know, want to be more towards the, uh, the gorilla in the market. And so I think you've got to understand that as what you can do and where you can go. I think you also have to really keep a very good, um, very sharp focus on the consistency of your process. Uh, quality is very important. And to crank out a whole lot of widgets or transactions, uh, just to say you're at scale when the product you're putting out is not quality, uh, whether it doesn't do what the customer's after, or whatever the case might be, I think is, is really bad. And so I think you've got to stay focused on that 100%. And I think the last thing, and it's really um, speaks to where things are at today, and that is your process has to be as close to uh, a process can be anyway, to be devoid of friction. So it's gotta be easy for your customers. It's gotta be easy for the people that work for your company that are producing these widgets, whether it's a digital tag on a website or it's a car, whatever it is. Um, it's got to touch lots and lots of people. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, our vision here at iLending is to be the number one auto refinance provider in the United States. What does number one mean? 
Um, for us, it means not necessarily just doing the most transactions, but having the best reputation online, having the happiest team member base, having the most satisfied lender partner base, uh, and so on down the road. So I think all those things for me kind of fit in a scale. Um, I think it's important not to uh, not to take on the the, the path of uh, growth at all costs because those costs can be lots of different things, and it's just not mm-hmm. sustainable. And that's I don't think that's fair to your team members who have families they're trying to support. Um, it's you know it's a journey, not a not a sprint. Sure. So in your experience, is it easier to scale? when you're closer to being the gorilla or when you're the underdog? I find more excitement in uh, being the underdog. Um, I think that's a lot of fun because, you know, you get overlooked and uh, Mm. oftentimes you're at a smaller company and sometimes you're surrounded by people that have been at a company for a while and like, well, this is the most we can do. This is everything there is. And then six, eight, 10, 12 months later, you're going, you guys remember when we were only doing that? You know, right. we're at a point now with our current business that what we do in two or three days is what we used to do in an entire month. And that was just three years ago. And the people that have been here that long, they just shake their head. And it's like, right. if we have a really, really good Thursday, Friday, that was an entire month of August. Right. Like, yeah, that's where we're at. And so that to me is just so much more fun seeing the people around you succeed and watching people grow into bigger and bigger roles. I think when you get to that gorilla stage, um, a lot of times you have to pivot and it's, it's important, but you have to pivot towards, okay, where else can I find three pennies? Where else can I find this? Where else sure. can I get that? And I think, you know, you kind of get to that scale point and it's that important. Um, there's, there's that. Um, but it's also fun to be an industry leader and have people ask you questions. So there's, there's different sides of different, uh, different kinds of answers to that. But I think being the underdog to me is fun, just growing when no one expects you to do and sure. crushing it. Sure. So in, in your, you just told a great story about going from in three years, going from what you did in two or three days to doing a whole month. Was there a specific inf- inflection point or an episode or a, um, a catalytic event, event where you said, wow, now we're really growing like crazy? Or was it, you know, you see these growth charts that look like a business school project. And of course, it's 30% year on year. And that's how we're going to scale. And it never works like that. Um, was there a specific event or an inflection point for you? Um, well, first off, only growing 30% year over year is not going to cut it. Uh, it's so. not going to, but that's, <laughs> that's what you see in business school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Projects. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, that's not going to work. So, I mean, I think really for me, and I've seen this in a couple of different places I've been, it's really about um, getting the leadership up. It's not so much that a new piece of machinery showed up or a new computer program. It's about getting the leadership. And a good example I'll give you here is um, we've got a guy who's part of his job is to help us forecast what we can do the next month and the next quarter and so on like that. And he has forever relied on what we've done in the past. And you come in and you start to say, well, here's the five reasons why you tell me I can do hundred widgets next month. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to do 375. And after a number of episodes of this, finally the light goes on to where he says, okay, I'm going to throw history in the garbage because we're doing things that mathematically aren't possible. And then that becomes infectious and you start to see other members of the leadership saying, why can't we think this way? And that I think is super, super important. And then I think the other thing is 
you've got to show that you're confident in what you're doing and where you're going. And so we've been able to take a company and we have gone from, you know, paying the bills to we are heavily investing in our company now. Um, I speak openly to the entire company about, you know, how profitable the company is, what our revenue is, all that type of stuff. And then I have to say, you have to understand that this is how we can open up another location. This is how we can put millions of dollars into our system. This is how we, and that's why it's important. And so having that confidence and telling people that, you know what, the company does really well, and I'm investing all of this back in, we're raising, you know, bonus levels, we're doing whatever it is, and pushing that money back into the company while still maintaining a good return for, for the ownership structure. And so I think those two things are just really key. And that is getting that leadership base to understand that things are possible that don't look like it based on history. And then number two, you've got to put your money where your mouth is and you've got to invest, you've got to invest smartly. It's, it's amazing the power of a what if question. What, what if we had our best month ever? You know, but we just had that three months in a row. And you say, right, what if we, yeah. what if we broke that record again? And you go, God crazy, but it, it really is, it really is infectious. Uh, curious, do you, does your company do um, what people affectionately call open accounting? I mean, I, I get it that you're talking about the, the general finances, but do you do open accounting or do you just share uh, key highlights from your, from your quarters or from your months? Yeah, I, I find it, my experience has been at least, to um, have good quarterly updates and good consistent updates and I think what's really important about it is you've got to deliver in a way that makes sense to people. If you go to a frontline worker in any company and say, you know, something about $387 million, it's a completely foreign number. Or your they EBITDA. Yeah. Or your yeah. EBITDA. They can't digest any of that. Our, stuff. our EBITDA so, grew, grew. You go, <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's that? I didn't know we had depreciation. Uh -huh. Yeah. So there's, there's that. And so I really try to break it down to just what are we making and what are we spending? And right. just keep it that simple, revenue and expenses. And then you can talk about those as functions of growth. Um, you know, for instance, if you have a quarter where, hey, our revenue grew 18%, but our wages and expenses grew 23%, people get that and say, wow, why did we pay more for that revenue then? And you see, you see a little bit of what comes from my chair, from the CFO's chair saying, that just doesn't look right. I just went to the store and got a gallon of milk. Why'd they charge me $14? Right. Last month, it was only eight or six or five or whatever it is, depending where you're at in the country. Right. And so try to keep it down to where it's digestible and something everybody understands. If they can't understand it, it doesn't really matter if you're doing open accounting or quarterly or whatever. If they, if they, they can't translate it into what it means for them, it doesn't do right. any good. Right, right. We talked off air a little bit that you, about um, in scaling, having positive or negative reactions to either challenges or opportunities. How do you, how have you managed that? It's, it's a, it's such a key insight because the mindset or the confidence that goes along with it, if you're scared out of your mind doing it all the time, eventually people will crap out. <laughs> and if you're doing it consistently and succeeding and whatnot, people start to believe, but how do you manage your reactions to a challenge that comes up? a roadblock or a pothole or an opportunity that you guys either want to go after or did go after. How do you manage that? Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the most underappreciated powerful parts of a company is nonverbal communication mm -hmm. or verbal communication when it comes to reacting to things. Um, things are going to go wrong when you're growing a business. If nothing goes wrong, 
then you either started in nirvana or you're not trying hard enough. There's you're, trying, you're not trying hard enough. That's for sure. Um, so things are going to break and you're also going to have great successes. As you said, you can go six, eight, 10, 12 months of record, record, record. Um, and I think how you react to these things uh, are very important. I mean, I just give the example this morning. It's uh, walked in this morning and we, our office flooded over the weekend uh, because of uh, a filter on a fish tank got clogged, broke and water vessel or water uh, uh, source just scored it for 48 hours. Um, minor, but it comes in and the people are, they're out of their space. They, what's going on? And so, uh, you know, people are asking me, it's like, well, did they call you over the weekend? I said, why would they do that? What, I can't turn off the water any better than somebody else. That's their job. Call the lady that does all that. And she's fantastic at it. It's all handled. We already have fans running. I, let's, let's get to work. So that's one example. We've had we've had other examples where, you know, we thought we had started a marketing marketing campaign, and we found out two weeks later we didn't start a marketing campaign. Oh, nobody pressed still, go. Uh, well, it's kind of like that. We we were <laughs> we were uh, hoping to get a certain data source and 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 contact a bunch of customers, and, and it just didn't happen. And yeah. you know, at the time, you know, we had um, some other folks involved in the business, and and the response was. Uh, you know, I want people written up, heads got to roll, da, 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 da. So how about, let's just fix the problem and learn from it. And that's what we did. We just fixed it. We moved right. on. Turns out nothing ever actually happened. Nothing bad. We still did just fine. Everything was good. Right. But keeping my cool during that time, it's fine. People have to have, they, they have to know if they can bring you bad news. Otherwise they're going to hide stuff from you. Right. And I think it's, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think it's all too common that poor managers and poor leaders overreact to mistakes and they underreact to successes. Right. Um, and I think overreacting to either one is um, not necessarily good. I think if you overreact to successes, I think sometimes people are like, why? why? Why is he so surprised that we succeeded? Well, I'm not surprised, but we should recognize it. We should have a goal. We should celebrate it, but it should be measured. And when somebody makes a mistake, as good or as bad as it is, you should say, okay, great. Let's fix this. Let's go forward. Or you know, if you have to do more than that, you do more than that, but it should be balanced. And I think right. when everybody in the company sees that and there's not this fear culture and all this Machiavellian type stuff, I think it gives people a lot more confidence in the leadership and their ability to want to try things that they never would have tried before. Because the worst thing is, oh, all right, I'm going to talk to Tom for a little while, but we're going to be okay. So was that harder during work from home or hybrid or was that easier? Um. It was harder for me when I was younger. I'll just say that. Um, I've, I've done, you know, I look back at some things where, you know, if I was competing against another manager at some point in time and my team didn't do well, that, man, I would write the nastiest email and tell them how embarrassed I am and I'm never going to see the light of day rah, 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 again and all this kind of stuff. And I think back now and I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe I acted like that, but I did. And so during COVID, not COVID, all those kinds of stuff. Um, I just, uh, you know, I like to think I've matured a little bit and those types of things don't bother me. We, we've just grown so much even through COVID, uh, you know, the last three years, uh, you know, we've gone from like, I, we're still a small company. We only had like 119 team members when I got here and we're 430 or something like that this morning. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just, it's gratifying to see all that. And um, just because we've been growing so fast, there's, it, that's not really been a problem to react and over. I think that the caveat I'll say to that is that you can't, 
um, ignore problems. And if you've got folks that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, what you're paying them to do, what others are counting on them, you've got to address it and you've got to move on. And um, it's not pleasant, but letting a company not hit its potential that affects every family here uh, is worse. So are you back at the office or hybrid or working from home still? I never left. Uh, no, not, we, not, not you. I mean, the whole, the whole company. The whole company's been here. We were, wow. we were empty for about 30 days and then we brought everybody back. Um, and then after that, we had, we've got a bunch of younger folks working here and, you know, we'd be all careful here at the office. And then on the weekends, we'd find out, well, bars are still open. Right. And so we'd have COVID Mondays and we'd come in and like, okay, these four people, and then we know they were together. And we had, you know, at one point we had five people go out on smoke break and they sat in the same car. Well, guys, uh, so we had some outbreaks and we, we would literally, we would just <laughs> tell people to pop to the front door. We're throwing computers at them, go home. And we get 90 people out of here in two hours if we had to. And then we're like, all right, see you in eight days. And then they'd come back. Um, yeah. But that's what people really wanted. And we listened to our team members a lot during COVID. It was and so they wanted important. to be at the office. They did. They really did. It was vast majority. Yes, we had some people who said, look, this is dangerous. I don't want to be here. And we addressed everybody's concerns. And we accommodated everybody. We followed all the guidance, uh, everything we were supposed to do. But we really wanted people to know that. It, and it was interesting while we were hiring, you know, during COVID, because everybody went remote. We'd get, you know, folks that we'd interview and they say, okay, well, how much is this is remote? And we'd say, we're, we're not remote. That's not our company. And there'd be either a silence and they'd be like, <laughs> what do you mean? I can't work from my kitchen table. Like, no, we work in the office. And they'd yeah. either be like, well, that's great. Or, okay, this isn't for me. But we were just honest and upfront with them from the very right. beginning. Right. Don't think you're going home. You're not. And yeah. uh, everybody's in here. All three of our locations, plus our Santo Domingo. I mean, we're, they're all full. They're all operating and uh, we've come through it just fine. And, you know, we're so thankful. We didn't really have any really serious cases, but you know, anybody that had a sniffle or lived with somebody that sniffled or immunocompromised or whatever, we still right. have three people that haven't been here over two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. Think of their work done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's funny. The, uh, the one thing I continue to hear from CEOs about not being in the office is uh, micro wins. So when you have a small win and you're working from home, nobody hears about it because you'd have to get online and tell everybody. At the office, people say, oh, Tom, I heard you booked the such and such deal. Good job. Yeah. Now, there's, you don't have pizza and stop and have a lunch over that. You just say, oh, yeah, did you hear we, we got that deal or you hear we closed that that one or or we solved the flood in, with the, the uh, thing? We got that figured out. And, and that's a micro win. That's a high five or a fist pump or an attaboy. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but work from home, that kind of went away. Uh, now, our sales team, uh, we've got a, a bell on the sales floor and there are certain things they do and they go there and they ring the bell. And every day you hear the bell ring two, six, eight, 10, 12 times, whatever. Um, there was no bell for the 30 days they were all working at home. Right. It's hard, it's hard to do that because you'd, you'd literally have to rings. get online and tell everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm with you 100% on the micro wins. And it's just the innovation and the collaboration. And the I think of the young up-and-coming professionals who don't have the opportunity to work around a CFO or a CEO or a CMO or whatever. Right. How do you mentor? How do right. I, yeah. How, do, how am I supposed to react to that? How, oh, I just, I'm really good at email. Well, so it's just not fair to that next level of people. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It's tough. It is what it is. But. Yeah. I'm curious, the biggest lesson you've learned in, I mean, you, you've been at this in different companies and you, this isn't your first rodeo. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in scaling 
And what's the tuition you had to pay to learn it? So I think the biggest lesson for me really is that you've got to, and this sounds cliche, but you've got to surround yourself with good, competent people, and then you've got to get out of their way and let them do what you hired them to do. If you hire smart people and then tell them how to do their job, for instance, I've got a CMO that's just a rock star. If I tried to tell her how to do marketing, then I might as well just get rid of her and we're not going to be very good. Um, and so I think you've got to just learn to balance of when you need to get involved and when you don't. And they're learning and they're growing and they're doing outstanding things. Um, kind of the tuition I paid, you know, over the years, I, you know, when I was much younger, there'd be, there'd be micromanagement. And that just stifles everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I don't need to be involved, like you just said. And of course, you probably have no idea you're micromanaging. You're just saying, no, no, no I'm being thorough. I'm being careful here. And you go, no. you're smothering. Yeah. And you pride yourself on knowing every single little yeah. tiny details. Like, this is somehow wh why I'm valued. And it's like. Yeah. And you have to be the first guy in. You can't be the, and you have to be the last guy out because you got to know whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah that's, it's, that's, I mean, and it's, it, it that's their, that's the validation you feel is that that, that level of in granular activity and staying that involved and doing everything all the time right. um, stifles you, stifles everybody around you. You're just not going to grow. But when you can let go, back up, be tolerant of things, but know that there's good controls around. So even though, John, I know you could make a mistake in what you do, it really can't be that bad because there's controls in place. Um, you know, marketing can't just go write a check for $10 million tomorrow. They can call a vendor and say, I want to do something, but they can't do that. So um, that to me has really been it. And the tuition was really, uh, I don't really like to think about it. It was probably more years than I would um, like to admit of being a micromanager or something like that when I was much younger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When it, I tell you, it's really interesting is when you start to grow a business and it scales and all of a sudden you go from one location to four locations to international locations, you need to figure out really quickly how to not be a micromanager or you're, you're, you're going to not the right person for the job. So what's, what's the opposite? I mean, I have my view of what's the opposite. What's the opposite of a micromanager? The opposite of my, uh, boy, um, I think it's really someone who's an enabler. And I don't mean that in the sense of, you know, giving the alcoholic alcohol. Um, I'm talking about someone who gives people the opportunity to really shine. Um, I've worked for people that have been micromanagers. I've been one myself years ago. I've worked for, for managers that are glory grabbers. Um, and take credit for everything and push people under the bus. That's a horrible situation. But I think if you just enable your people and you allow them to grow, do the things that they're capable of, um, let them learn from their mistakes. I think is you know it's a big part of it. You don't you know want to count on mistakes happening, but they're going to. People they're going are trying to. hard. It's I mean, you and I make mistakes every day too. It's just part I, of the game. If you're not, that's what not, it is. You're not going at all. It's not yeah. going to be the end of the world. I mean, no. it's just it's just not. And I, I find that the more freedom you give people, the more power you give people to control their own destiny, the more they, they have that ability, the more they come to you for your advice. Um, loan officers, years ago when I managed loan officers, and we'd tell them, you know, hey, look, we're going to up your loan approvals. It was personal loan type stuff. Um, instead of just going up to $2,000, John, you can now make $5,000 loans. You've proven you can do it. Do you think there's a chance in hell that they would do a $5,000 loan without coming to see me? Nope, no chance. Yeah. But they had the full authority to do that. Over time, they get there to where it's like, okay, I did this. And then they get comfortable. But um, they always wanted to talk about it. And I still see that today in the people I work with here. And they're all fantastic. They're, they're very 
blessed with a great, great exec team. But they all come to me and ask questions. And then those other times they get together and they talk about it and they come in, hey, as a group, we decided we're going to do this. And then there's silence. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, as long as you guys got it handled. Just, right, we track it. Yeah, well, here's just the control points I need. And let me see how the, yeah, the reporting. Right. I'm like, okay. And if it doesn't work, they'll pull we'll the know in two weeks. It does work. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's great. That's great. I would imagine, and I'm guessing that even at the, at the onboarding and the hiring process, if people are um, ambitious and want autonomy, you're going to give them the responsibility to do so without the autonomy seems like a bad deal, but people sign up for it every day. But I would imagine that people that don't want the autonomy are going to run kicking and screaming from you. They're going to say, this is no, no, no. I don't want to have any, I don't want to have any liability in any of my decisions. You go, yes. Yeah. Sorry. This is probably the wrong place or no. Do they? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have that conversation almost verbatim. Um, I talk to every single new hire the company makes. Uh, yep. we, we bring in classes on a regular basis. We had 27 this morning across three different locations and all different levels of jobs and everything. And I have that same conversation. Uh, I kind of leave it with, you know, hey, guys, buckle up. Um, we, we are a fast growing company. We talk about the data that's available and the data is here. The data is here for you. We could, as a company, sit here and track every keystroke you do all day long. But we've got better things to do. So we hire really good people. We give you the data. We give you the tools. And we expect right. you to be successful. Right. Um, and if you want to work in a place where you're going to sit and check a box all day long, and I tell them it's like, you know, like an old-fashioned government job. Not that there's anything wrong with government jobs. Yeah. But I'm saying if, if that's the job you want. Time and motion sensors. Those guys in the lab coat. This is codes. not the place for you. And you probably need to find something else. Probably. I, honest to God, that's what I said this morning. I say it every yeah. two weeks to people. That's good. That's great. Uh, last question. It's a fun one we've done uh, with all our guests. If we went back to, I'll call it junior high, seventh, eighth grade, would we have seen just the shorter version of Tom, but you're pretty much the same? Like, would all the signs have pointed to, oh, yeah, yeah, fast forward a couple of decades, and this, that's who this guy's going to be? Were they all there? Yeah, you know, uh, I would tell you, well, first off, I had the exact same haircut. So that's... Well, there you go. That's a, good, that's a good sign right there. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I do have people say that to me, that it's like, you know, if they say you've made it to be CEO, you know, I'm like, wow, I just lucky, good, right place at the right time. And, and people say, no, th this was just a matter of time. And I, you know, I, I read your question. I had to start to think about, okay, what the heck did I do in junior high? Um, you know, I played a couple of different sports. Um, sure. did my school work, that kind of stuff. I wasn't the most studious person. I curious, I, were you a captain I, in sports or no? Nope. nope I wasn't very, nope. I, I was on the football team, uh, cause I was quick and I could intercept passes and that kind of stuff, but everything else. Nah, I was just kind of your average, there you are guy. But what I spent most of my time doing, this really started, oh geez, probably fourth or fifth grade. Um, I guess you call it a business. I, I never thought to call it a business, but uh, summer times I mowed lawns for eight or 10 different people. I was in the Midwest like yourself. And so the fall, there's all kinds of fall yard work to do. Yep. In the wintertime, uh, we had not just the neighborhood residences that we would do, but my, my brother and I actually had a whole intersection with all these little shops. There's a record shop and an antique shop and a barber shop and all these kinds of things. And each one had whatever, 22 feet of sidewalk. And sidewalk, yeah. We had 
the whole crisscross of that intersection. And if it snowed, we were leaving the house at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. And we were heading out there and we got all that snow done. And then after school, we had to go around and we'd go around and we'd collect our, our money. Yeah. And so I, I guess in some ways you could say that was a business, but I was driven from that point on um, uh, to really, I wanted to do, you know, like the cliche, do better than your parents did and so on like that. And um, we always had food and clothing and all that stuff, but we got groceries from a food pantry and different things like that. And um, it just is what it is. And so I think that part uh, helped drive me. And yeah. um, the folks I talk to now, you know, again, they, they tell me they're not surprised. I still am very humbled and surprised that I'm um, where I'm at doing what I'm doing. It's, uh, it's my favorite interview question, and I won't hire anybody with the wrong answer, but it's uh, when, when, were, when was your first paid job? And if it's a 22-year-old just out of school, and they say, well, th this would be it. I'm done. Because yeah. you learn that, you, like you say, you learn that at fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Uh, hustle, uh, what the value of $10, would I do this for $10? No, my time's more back. You learn all that at, at fifth, sixth, seventh grade. You've got a decade uh, head start in the real world. Um, yeah. And anybody that just was too cushy, yeah, I, I figure I'm going to have to be their mom for the next 10 years, and I don't want to do it. So oh, and you know, I remember... I think we were, I was 12 at the time, maybe 11, something like that. And it was a year that we had tons and tons of snow uh, throughout April and into May type of a thing. And I remember my brother and I, we both had these little plastic bags. I think lollipops came in the bags at some point or whatever. We both had like $340 in between our box spring and our mattress. And, you know, when you say that was back 40 years ago. It's when $340 was a lot of money, money for an 11-year-old kid. <laughs> and I, to this day, I don't forget that. I mean, I felt right. like I had everything I could ever want. And, yeah. uh, but it, it drove me. And I just always wanted to make sure that I was uh, taken care of and myself and my family and everything. No, that's great. That's great. What should I have asked you about scaling that I didn't? You know, I think what you should have asked is how do, how do you know what, what industry to scale in? Um, and I'm just, I mean, you got me on the spot and I'm thinking about that because I don't know that I could step into a, a factory and help it scale. But then I also think on the other hand, why not? It's people, it's inputs, it's resources, it's outputs. Um, yeah. I'm giving you a terrible answer to this one because you put me on the spot. Well, you ask yourself. Yeah, you just hung yourself. I, I did. <laughs> it's, it's one of the theories we have in scaling is that if you and Jeff Bezos switch places, iLending would scale faster than it ever has before because that's all he knows how to do. And if you went and ran Amazon or Blue or Origin or one of his million companies, it would probably slow down just because he's better at, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's top three or four in the world in scaling. He doesn't have to know anything about lending. He's yeah. about, he's, he, he take the product or the service. And it's one of the theories we have. We have never tried to prove it because Bezos is not coming to take your place anytime soon. And there, and Amazon's probably not coming come calling on you. No, but it's one of the not. theories is that scaling is a leadership activity. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a recipe. It's not a formula. It's a leadership thing. And leaders that want to scale do much better than people that, um, try to do what I call fi financial engineering or financial scaling. 
You say, okay, let's, let's see if we can squeeze out profits so that we can tell people we're doing really well. And you go, that's different than just growing so fast. It, it's yeah. hard to keep the, uh, the wheels on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I feel like I answered your question pretty good then when you uh, asked me earlier about what's the uh, inflection point or critical episode. And I said, it's, uh, it's getting that right team of leadership. Cause at that point I yeah. can do all kinds of stuff. That's where my brain was going. I said, well, I think I probably could take over a factory now that I think about it. You're probably good. Um, With the right team, you just go, I don't know how they make the shoes and why they're coming out so slowly, but we're going to solve that problem. It's just a yeah. problem to solve. Yeah. You figure it out. I honestly think I'd figure just about anything out or I, yeah, you that sounds cocky and I shouldn't say that, but I just, I think it's with the great people around you is, is what it is. Cause I, I don't know marketing. I don't know HR. I don't know sales, but I've got three of those departments that do a fantastic job. Cause I've got really good people there. I'd fail on any one of them, but yeah, that's great. Um, that's great. people. Well, Tom, thanks so much for uh, investing your time and wisdom today. We really appreciate you uh, spending a, a few minutes with us. Thank you for having me, John. I enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to the next time we talk. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.